As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances. Whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities, or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death, we all want to know, what happened next? To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A quick content note before we get started. This episode contains talk of self-harm. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of self-harm, There are resources in our show notes for today's episode. When you're standing there and everybody's in real clothes and you're in orange and you're shackled hands and feet and, you know, you're being told that you committed espionage against your own country, you regret being born. Like, you want to die. That's a woman whose name is Reality Winner. And she's describing what's got to be one of the worst days of her life. Reality Winner leaked a secret report on Russian election hacking to the media and will now serve more than five years in prison. That's the longest sentence ever imposed for this kind of violation. Reality, thank you for joining us on the phone as you are there in jail. Let me ask you this, because it was the document that you leaked that really brought everyone's attention to this idea about the Russians trying to infiltrate and attack our state voting systems. What has it been like to see the Russia investigation unfold from behind bars? That report from CBS This Morning includes reality's first TV interview from the Lincoln County Jail in Georgia. The hosts of the program, they seem sympathetic. But I wasn't. As an official with the Department of Homeland Security, I thought what she'd done was plainly illegal. And in fact, maybe even treasonous. She deserved a lengthy prison sentence. At least, that's how I viewed it at the time. Then we met, after she was released from prison. I'm Miles Taylor, and this is The Whistleblowers. On this show, we're going deep into the heart of power to meet people who spoke out about wrongdoing from inside the Trump administration. Some were in the president's inner circle. Others were on the front lines of top agencies. But they all have a few things in common. The ethical gray areas, the doubts about whether what they did even made an impact. And they paid a price. Episode 2, Reality. Before people debated whether she was a whistleblower or a traitor or a spy or even a friend of the Taliban, and she was called all of those, Reality Winner was a six-year veteran of the U.S. Air Force. She served in the 94th Intelligence Squadron. But it's worth going even further back than that. So I called Reality, who's now living with her mom in Kingsville, Texas, to talk about her story from the beginning. I really want to just start way in the background. When I was reading up about you, I realized you went into public service partly because of 9-11. Take me back into that. You know, how old were you? How do you remember the experience? 9-11 was just a stressful day for any nine-year-old. That night, the first thing I did was call my dad because he didn't live with us. And he always spoke to me and my sister like adults. 
He was a psychologist and a theologist. And he was very interested at that intersection where religion can become toxic and become extremism and can incite violence. I just remember he would take us to libraries for fun and I would go into the reference section and I would trace the Arabic alphabet and I would draw him maps of Afghanistan. That was the only thing I had with my father. Mom and dad were separated? Yes, yes. In fact, my mom had just remarried my stepdad. Reality's mother, Billy Winner Davis, remembers watching Reality's growing interest in the Islamic world. We had stickers all over the house in Arabic, uh, labeling things. But not only did she study the language, she was very interested in the culture as well. I would talk to dad about language, and he would say that we have to understand basically extremism in its own terms. We can't apply our own terms to it. And so that was when I became more interested you know, towards my latter years of high school in combining this love of language and understanding how to put the pieces together. This is what takes her to the Air Force, where she could apply her Arabic language skills to intelligence work. She joins right after high school. I think that she went into it thinking that she was going to help with the war and help eliminate terrorism. I think that that's what she thought, what her role in the military was going to be. Reality serves from 2010 to 2016. The war on terror is in full effect. The U.S. drone program is very active. She can't say much about her work in the Air Force during that time. It's classified. But it's clear she's really good at what she does. She's awarded a commendation medal for, quote, assisting in geolocating 120 enemy combatants and facilitating the removal of more than 100 enemies from the battlefield, unquote. But six years in, she starts to feel disillusioned with her role. She speaks fluent Pashto, but she's never been to Afghanistan. And like a lot of Americans, she's exhausted by the war. She saw the damage that was being done by this never-ending war. And she really wanted to be on the ground there to help. And the Air Force wasn't going to send her there. I'm really proud of my time in the uniform, and I'm really proud of the United States Air Force. But I was getting out for a reason. I wanted to go towards humanitarian aid. I was quickly discovering that I didn't have the right resume for it, that my language training didn't mean anything on a resume, that you needed like a master's PhD plus plus just to pass out blankets at a refugee camp. And so like you're really facing like, well, how do I somehow pivot? And so going into government contracting as a linguist and then having the freedom as a civilian to look for other opportunities was what appealed to me most. After 9-11, the National Security Agency, or the NSA as it's called, had a vast amount of data to collect and analyze. So they hired intelligence contractors to help with the workload. Because these contractors have access to highly sensitive material, what we used to call the high side, they need to have top secret security clearance. But they're still contractors, hired help from the outside. And that can make a tight ship a little less so. The most famous NSA contractor before reality winner, Edward Snowden, who exposed some of the agency's most sensitive surveillance programs. The 2016 election and the transition into the Trump administration were awkward times for the U.S. intelligence community. And there was this one topic that the incoming president just did not want to talk about. It's like he took it personally. I spoke to former National Security Advisor Ben Rhodes, who worked in the Obama administration. After the election, we had a meeting in the Situation Room with President Obama and the leadership of the intelligence community, Jim Clapper, John Brennan, the head of the NSA, and uh, Jim Comey, the head of the FBI, kind of laid out their findings about the, the scale and, and breadth of Russian interference. That was similarly briefed to incoming President Trump, uh, who I don't think was particularly interested in and the facts. He's not just uninterested. The incoming president starts to become actively hostile about the intelligence found inside these briefings. In fact, Trump vented on Fox News Sunday about the CIA's findings. 
I think it's ridiculous. I think it's just another excuse. Uh, I don't believe it. I think the Democrats are putting it out because they suffered one of the greatest defeats in the history of politics in this country. And frankly, I think they're putting it out. It wasn't much different than what you know we all saw publicly at the time, which was President-elect Trump seeing this as hostile, threatening, out to get him, and not at all engaging in the substance of the information itself. There's this really comprehensive report that was pretty airtight about the fact that Russia had done this. That's an incredibly alarming <laughs> determination for the intelligence community to make, and an awkward one given that it was about efforts to help elect the person that was coming into the office. This dismissal and hostility become the story. On CNBC, Lester Holt doesn't get the answer he expects when he asks Trump directly about Russian hacking. Who's behind it and how do we fight it? I don't think anybody knows it was Russia that broke into the DNC. She's saying Russia, 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 but I don't, maybe it was. I mean, it could be Russia, but it could also be China. It could also be lots of other people. It also could be somebody sitting on their bed that weighs 400 pounds, okay? It's December 2016. It's the holidays. Reality is still looking for a new job and, frankly, a new direction. After six years in the Air Force, she's feeling adrift, and she's dealing with a personal tragedy. I drive down to Texas to be with my family. The next day after that is the day that my father died. And so now I'm just kind of like with the family over Christmas, grieving my father. And then that's when I got the call. And they're like, okay, so we need you to be at X building in Fort Gordon, Georgia, on the state. This is how reality ends up at a company called Pluribus International Corporation that provides intelligence services under contract with the NSA. Now, most people entering that Fort Gordon facility were not like reality. Carrie Howley is a features writer for New York Magazine. She wrote a profile piece on reality, and she immediately understood she didn't fit the mold of a traditional intelligence gatherer. She had complicated politics. She was young, interesting, and engaged. She's going to wear two different colored socks. And that this person, this brilliant, effusive person, so compassionate, so invested emotionally in the well-being of people across the world, could end up at this strange little contractor that was selling its services to the NSA. That story was interesting to me. How did this person get here? Reality is hired as something called a cryptologic language analyst for this military contractor, Pluribus. That sounds interesting. It is not. These intelligence jobs tend to be mind-numbingly boring. Often, there's nothing to do all day. You feel that your work is meaningless. I talked to someone who was just like plotting points on a map. And so you're kind of desperate for something to do with your time. I realized that I could clock in and clock out and not actually do anything. I had access to YouTube and I was watching Dr. Sapolsky from Stanford would put up his entire semesters of lectures for free. Now, one second for context. Dr. Sapolsky? is a neuroendocrinology researcher and author at Stanford University. Very well-respected. Not most people's go-to when they're bored at work. So I was actually taking neurology classes and studying for a possible massage therapy course instead of my job. There were so many different contractors there, so I kind of fell under the cracks. That was when I started freaking out. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. 
Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bored at work and reading the news, reality starts following the controversy around the construction of the Dakota Access Oil Pipeline, an underground channel for crude oil opposed by environmentalists and the Standing Rock Indian Reservation. There was going to be a veteran stand at the Dakota Access Pipeline. And it was probably one of the most violent protests, like the, the security forces attacking protesters. But I remember in February 2017, Kellyanne Conway said, nobody was protesting this pipeline. And nobody in the room blinked. That was when I became concerned because she said nobody was protesting, and that wasn't true. She's disturbed by this latest example of misinformation coming out of the White House. But I wonder what really pushed reality over the edge. Can you give me a sense about, you know, your your worries around the 2016 election and, and what you were seeing? I can't make any comment on any of that. My concerns in 2017 had to do with the media holding government accountable and what would happen if the United States population were given one set of facts in black and white, if they could see for themselves how their media will report some facts and leave some out. My only intention was to give the American people a litmus test as to the veracity of their media. Let's stop here for a second just so I can explain something. One of the conditions of reality's release from prison is that she can't talk about most of the details of her case. But journalist Carrie Howley can. At the time, there was all this argument in the press over whether Russia had interfered in the election, and there wasn't a lot of hard data. So she finds this document that outlines a specific phishing attack on um, voting systems, like the, the kind of simple thing where you open an email and someone's like, click on this, and then you have downloaded something undesirable onto your computer. And this document said, hey, the Russian intelligence agency did this. To be clear, this report has nothing to do with reality's cryptologic language analysis, whatever that is. But Pluribus has access to all kinds of things and their contractors don't have a lot in the way of oversight. So reality's really bored at work, and she stumbles on this document and everything it allegedly reveals about Russia's attempts to hack into our elections. But once she has it, does reality winner have some sort of political agenda? Well, according to Carrie Howley, no. There wasn't this sense on reality's part that like, oh, this proves that uh, Trump did not legitimately win the election. Nothing like that. She felt like more of a sense of what would happen if this 
were out in the world. How will the media treat this? I'd want to see what happens when they have this actual concrete document detailing this actual concrete attack. How are they going to deal with that? It's May 9th, 2017, the same day FBI Director James Comey is fired by Trump. Because he wasn't doing a good job, very simply. He was not doing a good job. Not doing a good job of making the Russia investigation go away. But it's on this day of all days that reality decides to print out this document she's seen. And this is a huge no-no. Kerry Howley explains. I mean, I don't even think she should have been looking at it and she shouldn't have been printing it. But if she had printed it, then it should have gone, according to the rules of the NSA, to into something called a burn bag. I mean, she should have just disposed of it there. Reality knows this, but she does it anyway. So why? Maybe she's driven by that same desire that sent her into the Air Force in the first place, as a teenager. The desire to help America fight this existential threat. Only instead of terrorism, the threat reality sees looming is a loss of truth amidst political lies and misinformation in the media. Or maybe stuck in an office where she feels useless, she just can't resist the opportunity to do something else, to do something that could maybe make a difference. If you look at United States foreign policy in 2017, it was a fucking clusterfuck. I don't know if you can say that, but it was a shit show. I just cared way too much about this country and our place in the world. I don't really have any specific sympathies. It was probably just something on Fox News, like more of their like constant lying. And it was like, there's a whole other set of facts here. And so it was more triggered by that, more triggered by the way Americans are getting information and that they're on any given side of the conversation, you're only getting half the truth. And somebody needs to just, for once, give everybody the whole truth and let us decide as a people without corporate media interest involved. So she should not be accessing this document. It has nothing to do with her job. And she probably doesn't have the right security authorization anyway. She should definitely not be printing it. And if she did, she should put it in a burn bag and destroy it. But you know what she really should not do? She folded it up, put it in her pantyhose, and walked out of the building. Yeah, I really am the world's dumbest criminal. <laughs> I didn't think it through. I didn't even have an attorney. I didn't know anything about whistleblowing or leaking. The only other two I had for reference were Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden. And I'm like, this is not really anything like that, so... If everybody sees that I meant good intentions, maybe I'll be fired, but I won't go to prison forever. Carrie Howley again. She puts it in her car. It stays in her car for maybe a few days. I can't remember precisely. And eventually she puts it in a manila envelope. She addresses that envelope to the intercept and she drops it in a standing mailbox in a strip mall parking lot in Augusta, Georgia. The Intercept is a news organization, co-founded by Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poitras, the journalists who had worked with Edward Snowden to expose the NSA's surveillance program in 2013. It's an obvious choice for reality. She assumes it's the perfect place to anonymously send the top-secret information. And she's also a fan. The Intercept is really masterful at having their audience believe that they are the only independent journalistic outlet that speaks truth to power. You can tell, like, they're really good at inciting action and making you feel like you are the gatekeeper to this knowledge that's going to help set America right. They had done, you know, a 90-minute um, intercepted podcast on racist environmentalism. And this is episode 10 of Intercepted. This is nothing short of a declaration of war on the planet that is coming directly from the Oval Office. And they know damn well that climate change is real. They, they know it's not a hoax. So why do they lie, lie, lie? Reality even goes to the trouble of emailing The Intercept to ask for a transcript of a podcast episode hosted by the other Intercept co-founder, Jeremy Scahill, a move that will eventually come back to haunt her. 
to the extent that you remember those hours and the days afterwards, what, what did it feel like? Where was your head at? Were you scared? Were you resolved? So I was pretty much used to having breakdowns, having days where I couldn't keep food down, and physically shaking for days at a time. So that's how I felt for a couple days after I mailed the document. And then nothing happened. Seven days, super nervous, nothing happens. Two weeks later, nothing happens. So I was like, ooh, that was really stupid. Let's never do that again. Then, the FBI shows up. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jon Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. The Daily Show podcast has everything you need to stay on top of today's news and pop culture. You get hilarious satirical takes on entertainment, politics, sports, and more from John and the team of correspondents and contributors. The podcast also has content you can't get anywhere else, like extended interviews and a roundup of the weekly headlines. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. June 3rd, 2017. It's been 25 days since reality winner put a manila envelope containing a classified document into a mailbox in a strip mall in Georgia, addressed to The Intercept. And nothing has happened. Then, one afternoon, she arrives home from the grocery store to find she has some visitors. When the FBI showed up at my house, it was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get disappeared to Quantico. Like, this is it, this is the Chelsea Manning treatment. I was scared for my life. U.S. Army intelligence analyst Chelsea Manning was arrested for leaking classified documents in 2010. Authorities held her in solitary confinement for over a year. The FBI questions reality at her home that day, and they made a transcript of the conversation. Tina Satter is a playwright and filmmaker, and a few months after reality was arrested, Satter was able to track down the FBI transcripts of that interview— In fact, she was so fascinated by the dialogue that she decided to adapt the transcript into a theater piece. And the result is a play called Is This a Room? Is This a Room stages verbatim, word for word, everything from the first word of the transcript, which is when these two 
FBI agents start talking to reality to the very last word when they note the date and time and turn off their recorder. That play has now been adapted to an HBO film starring Sidney Sweeney. So, we open on a scene. First, these two lead FBI agents surprise reality, like she does not know they're coming. She is literally just doing Saturday afternoon errands. They start talking to her, alluding to the fact that they have um, some information on something she may have done. And so they let her go into the house with them watching her and accompanying her to put her groceries in, but she's brought back out onto the lawn. All that conversation that happens out on the lawn is kind of like vamping by the FBI until they can ensure that her house is clear. She does have firearms. That's an amazing reveal that she does own three um, firearms, including automatic weapons. By the way, one of those automatic weapons is a pink AR-15. It's just a great detail. Then they get her into the back room. No one in the rest of her whole life knows that she is in having this happen to her right now. The FBI are done with small talk. Now it's an interrogation. At first, reality denies even leaking the document. It becomes sort of this circular questioning because she keeps trying to sort of evade the corner they are trying to back her into. She's really very masterfully trying to keep her cool and probably both protecting the, maybe the information she leaked and how she leaked it. Her most raw emotion seems to come about the animals, and she was wildly concerned that the cat was going to escape and either like get shot, or if she ran to get the cat, she would get shot. And these men aren't quite equipped to deal with this woman's emotion that is actually about something so tender and intimate and real as her pets. The FBI finally tells reality. They have cut and dry evidence that she printed a top-secret document and sent it to the media. It's then that she confesses. The agents say, you, you don't seem like the kind of person who would do this. And reality gives this, like to me, it almost gives me goosebumps now. She says, I'm not. And then they're like, then why did you do it? Did, did something just snap? And she basically gives this, I mean, it's, it's incredible monologue. She says, what am I doing at this job if I'm not here to help the way I thought that everything in my life was leading towards, like learning these languages, joining the military, and instead I'm, I'm seeing information <laughs> that like, means me and my entire country are being lied to. I just, I did sort of like lose it. But she ends that amazing thing saying, why can't this be public? Here's Billy Winner again. She called my husband. Um, the kids always call Gary when there's an issue, when there's a problem. They don't call mom because I might overreact. So she called Gary and she was there with the FBI agents at her home, and she let Gary know that she was in trouble. The experience lasted about three and a half hours before I was transported to a county jail. When an actual uniformed police officer showed up to take me to the jail, she was the one that said, hey, I have to be the one to take you to jail. That was when I realized I was under arrest because the FBI never said, you're under arrest. She called later after they had booked her in the jail and I asked her if we needed to travel up to Georgia to be with her and she said yes. That's when I knew that things were serious. But hold on a second. How did this anonymous document sent to the intercept lead to reality getting exposed and arrested in just 25 days? Like what happened there? Not that I support her decision, but shouldn't the news organization protect their source? Journalist Carrie Howley explains. It actually sat in a mailbox for a while. No one even checked this mailbox because like, you don't like if you're working in media, you're not like using the mail. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it just sat in the mailbox for a long time. And then someone checked the mailbox and they were like, what is this? So they have the document. They assign it to a reporter. The first order of business and a big problem for The Intercept at this point is, is, is this document real? How do we even know if this is real? And... So the way that they went about authenticating the document ultimately exposed reality. The Intercept reporters reach out to a representative with the NSA to confirm its validity. But instead of describing what was in the document, say, over the phone, the reporters provide an actual copy of the document to the NSA rep. And they say it was postmarked from Augusta, Georgia. I may as well have just mailed the document to the FBI with my name on it and a hair sample because the Intercept gave it straight back to NSA. 
Hindsight is 2020. Carrie Howley again. There is a digital security team at The Intercept, and that security team was probably at that time the best in the world. And nobody consulted them. Nobody ever said, what should we do with this? That particular misstep is extremely mysterious to everyone who looks at this case. But I think it's attributable just to the fact that there weren't good protocols in place at The Intercept, that they weren't used to dealing with anonymous documents, that they're really tied to this, like, this machine of the Snowden documents. The NSA sends the document to the FBI, and they see creases that suggest it was printed and folded. It contains watermarks showing it was printed on May 9th and included a serial number of the exact printer that had been used. From there, it wasn't hard to put together a full list of people who'd printed that document on that printer. And of those six people, only one of them had ever emailed The Intercept asking for a podcast transcript. Billy Winner again. Reality probably would have gotten caught either way, but The Intercept made it so, so easy for the government to have an ironclad case against her. I learned from the WikiLeaks dump that Chelsea Manning had done that Fox News did not care if something was top secret. They were going to put up a scan of the document on the TV. And so my ultimate goal was to have Fox News do that again. And again, I wanted the document to be the story. I knew it would come back to me, but I just thought it would wake Americans up enough to where... By the time the FBI knocked on my door and said, hey, we kind of know you did it, the public consensus would be, we needed to see this. And instead, I was indicted on Monday morning, and that afternoon, The Intercept dropped the documents. And it was too late. Ever since then, the story has been about Reality Winner and who Reality Winner is and how much she hates Trump, and that's not really true, and and how much she hates America, which obviously have everything I've ever done has been for America. Reality is spot on about the media coverage. They don't seem to really care about the revelations in the leaked document or that it adds further proof the White House is downplaying the Russia threat. Three days after the arrest, Trevor Noah sums it all up perfectly on his show. Instead of Russia, the media focuses on just, well, her name. Someone leaked top-secret information about Russia to the press. And that person's name is Reality Winner. (laughs) Their real name is Reality Winner. And Trump has to be one of the luckiest people around because this new leak shows that the Russian military actually tried to gain access into the Florida voter system. But we can't concentrate on those facts because Reality Winner. Reality, are you serious? The show Fox and Friends goes with unsubstantiated claims that make reality seem like a member of the radical fringe and a grade A manipulator. And by the way, people like me did not second guess that characterization. The government contractor accused of leaking top secret NSA documents also wanted to burn down the White House. Prosecutors revealed handwritten notes about plans to join the Taliban. She also told her sister she'd play the, quote, pretty white and cute card to get out of trouble. The media narrative that focused on reality worked just fine for the White House. It was a welcome distraction from the facts that Russia attempted to hack our elections. But those facts inevitably raised some pretty uncomfortable questions. Like, why? In a televised Senate hearing, Senator Claire McCaskill grills my former boss, White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, about the report and what it shows about Russian hackers' intentions. It's clear they were trying to get into voter files. And I don't think they were going there to try to um, just hang out. As McCaskill notes, the information is pretty useful to understanding just how far the Russians were willing to go to meddle in our elections. But despite the importance of that information, I still felt at the time that it was wrong to leak it. Ben Rhodes was of a similar mind. The problem to me is actually less probably to do with that specific document. It's more that, well, then you're telling everybody it's okay to do this. And then why wouldn't more people do it? It's problematic for anybody to to mishandle classified information or to put it in the public domain because 
then you open up a spigot and you get 10 other reality winners. And one of those documents might be something that really is something that puts people's lives at risk. Reality is being held in a Georgia County jail for the trial. And it's bleak. Not even her family offers her much comfort because the prosecution is listening in on the phone calls. Here's Billy again. We're a family that survives off of humor. Like, I remember telling her, I bet you you rock those oranges. Because she told me, Mom, I'm wearing orange, and I bet, I bet you you're rocking it. Well, the prosecution used all of that against reality. All of our telephone calls, all of our visits were recorded, and they were being used against her. If we laughed about something, we would hear about it in court the next hearing. As things progress, it's clear that the prosecution is creating its own narrative about this reality winner character. They took all of her strengths, like, you know, my daughter had books in her in her house about Afghanistan, about the Taliban, and they took that and made it into something cynical. What the prosecution said was that reality winner actually joined the Air Force for the sole purpose of getting uh, exposed to uh, classified information so that she could betray her country. The Justice Department is poised to prosecute reality to the full extent of the law, like come down very hard on her. But given the nature of what reality has done, I mean, didn't they have to? Carrie Howley. You can imagine a situation in which this just gets shrugged off. That's just an administrative decision. Are we going to prosecute this? No, it's dumb. Let's ignore it. Let's not draw attention to it. That happens all the time. There are leaks and like, it's not in the interest of the government to talk about it or create a new story about it. So they just look the other way. And that easily could have happened here, but it's not what happened. Given the president's sensitivity to the subject, it does make sense that he'd pressure the Justice Department to make an example of reality. But Kerry thinks the push to punish her was maybe driven by a simpler motive. I imagine it was something like, hey, this is like a really easy case. We have a lot of evidence that this was leaked. And from somebody's position in the Department of Justice, it would be good for a promotion. It would be good for their personal prestige to go after this person as hard as possible to get the win, to impose the longest ever sentence against a whistleblower. And I think it's it's these like little, these, these smaller incentives. Reality is facing up to 10 years in prison. Meanwhile, friends of the president are facing a very different type of justice. Tina Satter talks about that disparity. When she's being denied bail, Paul Manafort is out on bail by his pool and mansion. Paul Manafort, political lobbyist and chairman of the Trump presidential campaign. Charged with 18 counts of tax evasion, bank fraud, and hiding foreign bank accounts. He's convicted on eight of those charges. But while Reality Winner is rocking those oranges in state jail, Manafort is in a luxury condo in Virginia, rocking, I don't know, maybe the $15,000 ostrich jacket that BuzzFeed News reported about. Anyway, Reality doesn't have friends in high places. And so like a year and two months after being in jail, she makes a plea deal because the writing seemed to be on the wall that she could get the 10 years, which, and I think she was, for a range of reasons, and mostly her health and mental health was really not wanting to do that. Reality is sentenced to five years in prison. She spends three and a half years at the Federal Medical Center, Carswell, in Fort Worth, Texas. She's 26. Her time at Carswell happens at the intersection of the COVID pandemic and the racial reckoning over the murder of George Floyd it makes an already bad situation a whole lot worse. My entire time incarcerated was a lesson in never admitting that you've hit rock bottom because there's always a new rock bottom. I thought county jail was rock bottom and then COVID happened. And we were, you know, immediately put on lockdown. And I thought, oh my God, this is rock bottom. And then Derek Chauvin murdered George Floyd in front of the entire world. And then we were put on our first real, real lockdown for nine days where you can't leave your cell. Billy Winner. Having somebody in prison, it's so very, very difficult. You have no idea because you feel so powerless. And when that person calls you 
and they're upset, something happened, you, you can't do anything to help them. There's, there's absolutely nothing that you can do to, to help that situation, but just be there, to be there on the other end of the line when they call. I internalized everything and I saw the bigger picture of what was being done in our country. And it was like, that pain, like I started cutting myself. And by the end of it, you know, my neighbors, the cells next to us are like, dude, Winter, you're gonna get your ass locked down if you don't calm down. And so that was when neighbors started passing, you know, pills and drugs to keep me, <laughs> to keep me sane. Within a month, we were on another lockdown. This time they revealed that there were active COVID cases on our unit. That was a 33-day lockdown. And I stayed high for 31 of those days. In June 2021, after a public campaign for clemency, Reality is released early from prison. Initially, she's placed under a gag order, banned from using social media, and under constant supervision as part of her home confinement. The government says good behavior is the main reason behind her early release. For Reality, that's pretty ironic. What was more difficult to grapple with? The incarceration and the effects of that, or the public scrutiny? In order to deny me bail, the prosecution alleged that I was a Taliban sympathizer. That was never a charge, and it never came up again once I was denied bail. It was only useful for that one soundbite. And that soundbite haunts me to this day. Everything we've done since then in the public domain has been to refute that and has been to clear my name and has been to get my, my veteran status back. It's like, well, damn, I'm not even a veteran anymore. Like, they took my military service from me, and I'm extremely bitter about that. You had no right to say that. At the time that your story came out, I was in government working on these issues, and, of course, my reaction was, she shouldn't have done that or she shouldn't have done it that way. What would your advice be to a prospective whistleblower? So I say this as somebody who almost lost their life over <laughs> two pieces of paper. The personal cost of releasing these documents is absolutely not going to be worth it, simply because once you release that document, you cannot possibly control the narrative, you will be crushed. You will be investigated and your name will be tarnished and you will do hard time in prison. However, the actual change in legislation that you are hoping will be done by simply revealing these documents will not happen. You're gonna hurt yourself, you're gonna hurt your family, and you're gonna give the media talking heads something else to talk about. Maybe there's another question Reality's case raises. Like, is the government overclassifying information that maybe doesn't even need to be secret in the first place? And I saw this all the time in government. Information that didn't need to be secret. And if it was in the open, potential leakers might be less of a problem. Carrie Howley. To me, as like a citizen, there was no cost to sharing this. There, the, no one was put in danger. What she did was, in part, made clear how much is pointlessly kept from us. And so the idea that this was a, a felony that deserves five years in prison, I think is absurd. And I think most people who look at the story clearly will agree. I'm closer to reality's opinion about her decision, that it was a mistake, at least the route she took. But the destination, what she was ultimately trying to achieve, that's what really surprised me. I didn't think I'd change my mind about her until we met. But honestly, how could I not? Like me, she's a child of divorce. She was inspired to go into government after 9-11. Then she blew the whistle after she saw something wrong, something very wrong. In the end, we had more similarities than I was ready to admit. But if you ask her now, Reality says she doesn't see herself as a whistleblower or a major leaker. She tells the FBI in her interview, quote, I wasn't trying to be Snowden or anything, unquote. 
Here's Carrie Howley once more. To me, the most important part of this story is not the document itself. I think what's really interesting is what Reality Winner tells us about the way the intelligence system works, about the way the media works, about the way a life can just take these crazy twists and turns. And you can end up at the single moment of decision saying, am I going to do what everyone around me is doing? Or am I going to do what I feel is right? Next time on The Whistleblowers. The head of the FBI, Andrew McCabe, is thrown into the center of the biggest political scandal since Watergate. As he races to lead the investigation, he finds his agency and his own family in the crosshairs. The Whistleblowers is a production of iHeart Podcasts in partnership with Best Case Studios and Arc Media. It was hosted by me, Miles Taylor, and written by me, Isabel Evans, and Adam Pincus. Isabel Evans is also our producer. Associate producers are Hannah Leibowitz-Lockhart and Ashley Warren. Darcy Peekle is consulting producer. Zach Herman is the VP of Development of Arc Media. This episode was edited by Michael Odemark, with assistance from Max Michael Miller. Original music is by James Newberry. Executive producers are me, Miles Taylor, Adam Pincus for Best Case Studios, and Barrett Goodman for Arc Media. Beth Ann Macaluso is our executive producer for iHeartMedia, along with Ali Perry. Special thanks to Kevin Pham, all of our contributors and interviewees, and our intern, Anna Levitt. And a big thanks to the teams at Government Accountability Project and Whistleblower Aid, two of the best organizations for government and private sector whistleblowers seeking legal support. Follow and rate The Whistleblowers on the podcast site of your choice. To hear what these whistleblowers and others have to say about what they believe will happen under a second Trump administration or in the White House of Amaga's successor, you can pick up my new book, Blowback, from Simon & Schuster. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, from Wonder Media Network, I'm Jenny Kaplan, host of Womanica, a daily podcast that introduces you to the fascinating lives of women history has forgotten. We've always been intrigued by stories of disappearances, whether it's a fraudster from the 17th century who kept evading the authorities or a novelist who taunted the Nazis and faked her own death. We all want to know what happened next. To find out, listen to Womanica on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.